and welcome to What Goes Around. We're really glad to have you here. Listen to us chat old bobbins about music. I hope you're enjoying every single moment of it. We've been having a great time doing it and we'd really like more of you to get involved. So if you can possibly find it in your heart to like, subscribe, share or tweet about us, then please do. Because the more people that hear the pod, the more fabulous people we can interview and the more things we can investigate in the world of music for you. We're at What Goes Pod on Twitter and Instagram, What Goes Around Podcast, uh, far more formally on Facebook. And if you want to send us an email and say hi, please do. WhatGoesPod at gmail.com is the place to go. We've got a fabulous show lined up for you today. First off, myself and Eamon are chatting about lyrics, whether they're important, why we love them, our favourite lyrics, etc. And then we're going to delve into a little bit of audience correspondence. But we've had an email from someone in Sheffield called Stephen, who is telling us all about what happened up there when the illegal playgraves came to town. High drama. And uh, we're also going to be hearing from uh, a friend of mine, Ali, a.k.a. DJ Gilla, who is a label guy and he also has worked at Bandcamp for a very, very long time. Bandcamp have been... Uh, in the news a lot recently for their uh, brilliant support of musicians over the lockdown period. So we're going to be talking to him about what that's been about, about who Bandcamp are, and he's also going to be picking three of uh, his favourite recent tunes that you can find on Bandcamp. And our guest this week is author Wendy Erskine, who's going to share her phonographic memories from her time growing up in Northern Ireland and becoming a full-time writer and author. It's a great interview, and I think you're going to enjoy this show. So, Anne, grab hold. Let's pod. Let's go. Let's pod. (laughs) 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 And Frankenstein, please tell me what goes around in your world. Well, I wanted to talk to you about something that really blew my mind, um, in our interview with Miles Chapman a little while ago, we were talking about his phonographic memories and he categorically said, and I've heard other people say this too, that um, he doesn't care about lyrics. Song lyrics are not important to him in any way. It's just about the mood of the music and how it makes him feel. And um, that just absolutely blows my mind when people say that. To me, lyrics are almost more important than the music. Bad lyrics make me want to kill myself. That's why... Even in the the dark days of of, uh, Britpop music, um, when it was Blur versus Oasis, I actually couldn't listen to Oasis's music because the lyrics were so awful. And, um, you know, the flip side of that is that some of my favourite music is my favourite music because of the lyrics. We talked about John Prine before. His songs all are based around the same three chords, basically, but it's his lyrics, along with the melody, that that really touch me. Um, And my favourite song... Probably my favourite song is, um, one of them anyway, is Benny Goodman and Peggy Lee doing, um, I can't fucking remember the name of it. <laughs> it's, it's the chicken song by Split Edge. <laughs> <laughs> That's so perfect to emphasise my point. I love the lyrics so much, I don't even know what they are. Um, I get that when It's like when it... You know, when you're, when you're DJing and you, th- and you hear it in your head, you go, oh, that's the tune I've got to play. And then yeah, by the yeah. time you've turned to the side, it's like gone. And oh, you're just completely. Going, oh, no, where is it that's gone? the worst. Well? But that's the booze. The booze doesn't help with that either. Um, yeah, that's true. But yes, my, one of my favourite my favorite ever songs, a song which makes me completely melt every time I hear it, um, is the, the Peggy Lee and Benny Goodman version 
of Where or When, which is from a musical um, called Babes in Toyland. I think it's from that musical or Babes in the Wood. Um, And uh, just because the lyrics are so stunning, it's about... um, it's about meeting someone for the first time and feeling like you've known them forever. And I really want to say the lyrics to you, but I feel like that's going to be super cringe for you. But then again, do I mind you cringing? I'm not going to sing it. Um, But the words are, it seemed we stood and talked like this before. We looked at each other the same way then, but I can't remember where or when. And then it goes into like, oh, the clothes you're wearing or the clothes you wore, blah, 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 blah. And to me, like, it's just the most... The, the the lyric when I first heard it just made me stop dead in my tracks um, and I just can't imagine not um, I just can't imagine not noticing beautiful lyrics or not being put off by bad lyrics where do you stand on this? Well I've got to say um, I kind of let it go at the time uh, but it's been chewing at the back of my mind as well because well. it is it's very different I think uh, I um I I kind of get his point, but he also said he would listen to bits of songs and not all of songs. Sorry, Miles, we're just dissecting your character. <laughs> what a weirdo! <laughs> what a crazy guy! I don't know where we got him from. But, oh, he's got some strange ideas. No, but that's good because he's made us both think. And I get what you're saying because I do very much, very much relate to lyrics, and um, I think as well I wouldn't be able to do that thing where I would listen to a part of a song. There's that uh, great mountain track that used to be the theme music for Weekend World, um, uh, Kentucky's Sleigh Ride. And uh, there's a bit in the middle of it that was... And it reminds you of Brian Walden in the 70s doing his news programme. But the rest of it's mush, do you know what I mean? Mm. So I bought that record and then I think I just couldn't keep it for that little bit. It was too annoying because it had bits either side of it I didn't want, mm. you know. That's um, why edits are so good. Bill Brewster yes, is the master yeah. of doing that, of taking a, a disco song with a couple of horrible, cheesy bits and removing them and just leaving the good stuff. You can't do that yeah. with everything, I suppose. But. Yeah, I'd I, I give the nod to Theo Parrish myself, mm. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, room, there's room for two, there's, there's room for room, many. There's room for plenty, there's bloody yeah. hundreds of them out there. Mm. Um, but lyrics, for sure. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine not noticing them. As a matter of fact, I would say it's only in recent years that I have been able to fully engage and enjoy with um, uh, music sung in another language. Mm. I don't think I had that skill when I was growing up. I think one or or two oddities maybe stuck through. But I wouldn't, you know, when John Peel was playing a lot of the the Zimbabwean stuff, I I wasn't that into it. I got into Thomas Matfumo, but that's because I saw him, Um, Mm. you know. So it it was interesting that you know nowadays I can listen to and I'm I'm listening to the song and and kind of the the feeling and what I I guess they might mean or what they might be saying, um, and I can really dig that now and really enjoy it for what it is. But I know there was a time when if I didn't know what they were saying, I would be suspicious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would be suspicious, and I'd want to know because you can end up liking something that is maybe not too nice. I mean, that's a very small niche category of music that would have lyrics that maybe don't align with your political beliefs or something well, like I'll give you an example. Buju Banton, when mm. doing his ragged stuff, um, you know, and uh, Beanie Man, a lot of them were doing this great ragged stuff. 
and I liked a lot of it and really dug it, um, but I couldn't understand all of it. Mm. And it turns out they were talking about shooting gay people. So, oh, yeah, uh, you, you know. got burned there big time. And then time. you go, whoa, what's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's it's going you go oh, this is great fun and he's, <laughs> oh look at the tourist he didn't know what he was More saying yeah. uh, so I, I think it's I think it's a, a definite mindset that I don't have I, I need to have the lyrics and I agree with you when a song um, has a lyric especially I'm not I do like a, a flowery poem or whatever but I think my favourite lyrics are actually incredibly simple and just paired mm. with the right music at the right time. Um, the Beach Boys were amazing at that. And, you know, their, their Pet Sounds era was... It, it was so simple. Like, you know, a 12-year-old could have written a lot of the lyrics in some ways, but they were so pure and so sparing in what they needed mm. to say. They were fabulous. And certainly, I mean, God rest his soul, he's dead to me now, but Morrissey back in the day... <laughs> Um, I loved I loved his lyrics and one of my favourite lines in any pop song ever is the line where he says vivid and in your prime you will leave me behind mm -hmm. and I just think that for the use of the language and the way the rhyme works and the kind of the undertones of those five or six words they're, they're amazing mm -hmm. do you know what I mean and certainly David Bowie without lyrics is not the same thing it's just not the same thing yeah you know, I've, I've heard the Mike Garson do his piano tributes where he plays the same music and the same, but you know, you need that, you need that um, mental chewing gum. To, yeah, to and, and I mean, when you hear those instrumentals, you're just kind of hearing the words in your head anyway, you know, um, mm. but I agree with you. I think it's, it is the marriage of melody and lyric at the right point in the music when it all works well together. There's just an alchemy in that. Um, and I just can't. It's always been the lyrics at the forefront for me. It's the perfect words that fit into the perfect hook and the perfect melody. And that's what makes the magic uh, in a track. I mean, it would be liberating not to care about that because there's a lot of uh, there's definitely a lot of artists who make music um, and they just kind of use wordplay. And there's a time and a place for that. Um, but I, I cringe when I hear bad lyrics. You don't like it when uh, when. Oasis rhyme king with sing and uh, stuff like that. that That's that, not that, even a bad lyric. I just I just don't <laughs> like it when they just say something that makes no sense and there's no story for that. Or like Noel kind of tries to put us like when he said that Wonderwall was about Meg being a wall of strength. No, it is just some words that you fucking stuck together. I'd be offended <laughs> if I was her. <laughs> no one's going to write you a song, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> How rude. Someone actually sent me a poem today on Twitter. No, 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 don't get me wrong. They're not, it's not because they wouldn't want to and they wouldn't be inspired by your great beauty and prowess. It's because you might clatter them. <laughs> Someone wrote me an amazing poem today on Twitter and sent it to me. Do you want to hear this? Oh, yeah. This was about my Jazz FM show. Really it's more of, a, know, more of a freestyle. Please let them rhyme Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not. I, I, this is the first time I'm reading this out loud. If it Anna... doesn't rhyme Frankenstein, I don't think I want to know. But go on. <laughs> I have to read it to you now. Everyone's waiting. Anne F in the house, talking loud, not quiet like a mouse. That's accurate. Uh, telling the masses to get their asses to listen to the best jazz around. The sounds, the groove, time for you to move. The sounds that take you higher like Kurt, Jocelyn or Earth, Wind and Fire. Isn't that wild? That, those might be my favourite lyrics I've ever read. Let's never speak of this again. <laughs> oh. 
Do you know, well, I that's not the first poem I've have sent. I've had sent to me. From I'm sure not. I'm sure not. There must be reams of the stuff. Reams of stuff. Um, wow, that's something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what Lloyd Grossman used to say when something tasted disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting thank you for that um outburst <laughs> no that's nice it's nice to get a little bit of bit of love that's very very sweet i think it's very good i wasn't um, just showing off i was reading it in the context of what we're talking about uh, yeah i mean listen noel gallagher's probably taking notes <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he's listening sorry noel if you are no we don't mean it well some mean some of it some of it, some of it we don't <laughs> Eamon, what goes around? Well, it's a little quick update on what we were talking about the other day in the Miles Chapman uh, edition of What Goes Around, where we briefly touched on the resurgence of um, the illegal rave. And uh, you were asking the question, uh, quite rightly, as uh, is it all a load of bollocks or, you know, should I should I forgive the kids for having fun and uh, dancing around? And I think we both decided that it probably was a load of bollocks. And I did talk about uh, how I was of the opinion that these latest round of illegal parties seem to have more to do with gangsters wanting to sell the drugs than a new movement of dance music bringing the kids together. And um, uh, that was only a hunch, really. But then I got this missive on the uh, What Goes Pod at Gmail account uh, from a guy called Steve who lives in Sheffield who runs a, a brilliant show on Sheffield Radio called The Night Train. And he was telling me, and you, that um, the rave scene has actually been very strong up north for quite a long time. And they regularly have um, small parties in out-of-the-way bits of woods and so so on. Uh, And it's really not been much of a problem for quite a long time until recently in the lockdown when they suddenly found in Sheffield there um, there was talk of a big rave happening there. And all of the local crews were scratching their heads because they, they're like, this is nothing to do with me, this is nothing to do with me. And they checked into it. And basically, um, people from London were uh, organising a party in their neck of the woods. It was going to be one of these free ones. Uh, and they were doing it without any um, respect or um, connection with the, the people in the local area. Mm. They Their plan was that they were just going to rock up there throw this big party and then rock off again, probably leaving a mess in the in its wake. Um, but the uh, the little ravers who uh, frequent Sheffield on a regular basis didn't really like the sound of it. So they actually went out and sabotaged <laughs> the venues which were most likely uh, to be used for this rave to be put on and ended up essentially chasing the out-of-towners out of town Amazing. because they didn't want their scene to be dragged into this slightly mercenary kind of rebirth of the illegal rave scene you know, they still believe they still believe they still believe in 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 the right kind of party they still believe in the magic that happened all those years ago and they sure as hell didn't want some gangsters coming up from another city and uh taking a big dump on their doorstep so they chased them back off and i say more power to you <laughs> i love that northerners man they don't take any shit Man, we could learn a lot from those people. Oh, really? I take I take far too much shit, especially living in Hackney. 
<laughs> my <laughs> whole life is shit. <laughs> dangerous not to, in Hackney. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to say thank you very much to Steve for getting involved and writing to us and telling us all about that. It really is uh, good to hear from anyone who. Uh, is out there and listening to the pod please feel free to contact us at whatgoespod at gmail.com or any of the social media outlets that we frequent indeed thank you steve hmm. Today for Let's Work, we're going to be hearing from my old pal, Ali, a.k.a. DJ Gilla, who is an A&R man for First Word Records. He's also a brilliant DJ and uh, radio presenter at Worldwide FM and Ballamy. Uh, fundamentally, though, he is the EU label rep for Bandcamp. Bandcamp have obviously been in the news recently for their brilliant support of uh, struggling musicians over the lockdown period. They seem to be the only music platform to be doing things right. They have a brilliant ethos and a great spirit and uh, we want to delve deeper into what they're all about. So uh, let's hear from Ali. Uh, My name is Ali Gilani and I'm the European artist and label rep for Bandcamp. So my job at Bandcamp involves um, spreading the word about the website, about what we do. Bandcamp is uh, an online music marketplace where artists and labels can sell music directly to their fans and then also uh, connect intimately with with those fans via messaging, via new release notifications, that kind of thing. Um, And you can sell physical and digital music side by side. So, you know, um, it's great vinyl lovers as well as digital music fans when um lockdown started and obviously you know so many of our users who are in the main independent artists were faced with very real problems you know a lot of them are reliant on touring income on djing income etc etc and you know as a company we're we are an artist first company and we that's not just a soundbite it really is something we believe in like everything we develop is aimed to enable artists to make a living off of their art and um so there was then a decision of what we could do to help and we decided that we would um have uh, a friday where we would uh, waive our fees so ordinarily we take 10 or 15 percent of sales um depending on whether it's physical or digital products that are being sold and we said right for one day we'll waive our fees uh and it was really a kind of it was put together quite um, I think we announced it on like a Tuesday and then it was that Friday was the, the first day. And I think on that first day, um, you know, we didn't really know what to expect. We didn't know how people would respond to it. But um, we, our turnover that day was 15 times what it would normally be. So it's been really interesting, you know, the aim of it wasn't necessarily, I mean, yes, we wanted to put more money in artists' pockets, but also we just wanted to highlight to fans that if you want the artists that you love to carry on being able to create the art that you love, you need to put money in their pockets. And that's true all the time, but it's all the more relevant now uh, when a lot of those revenue streams, as I mentioned, um, have been removed. And the response from the community has been amazing. It's, um, 
you know, we've we've just announced that we're going to carry on doing those on the first Friday of every month for the rest of this year. So we've got, um, you know, through August, September, October, November, December, we'll be doing that. And um, yeah, it's really amazing to see how the community responds and how also like not only do the fans coming in and spending money on the site and putting money in artists' pockets, but also how many artists and labels are then choosing to waive their fees and pass all their income onto charities or labels saying, well, we're not going to take a share, we're going to pass it all on directly to, to the artists. So it's really a kind of testament to the community that we've built up, which is, um, which is really great to be a part of. one of the things that's really kind of uh shone through to artists i think about the way we do things as opposed to how other um uh, music platforms um operate is that um we're really trying to just create an online version of a record store so you know we have an editorial team that pick out you know interesting music to for fans to discover so you know we're not just like a shop we're also a discovery platform too um and you can also set up a fan account as a fan and follow other fans and get recommendations off of them and you know the recommendations aren't like hey i like this you know like the equivalent of a like button on facebook or whatever it's i like this so much that i paid for it even when there are platforms out there where i could listen to this music for free and i think that's such a powerful thing for fans to actually make a statement that you know we believe in this artist and we want to be part of uh, supporting them and keeping them going as a music fan i've been using bandcamp obviously since before i worked there and um, i've discovered tons of amazing stuff one artist who's actually just released uh, a new record um is a an artist from london called duval timothy and um he's got uh, a new record out right now which is called help um and i think it was all just recorded in his house just kind of pretty lo-fi but it's just such a beautiful album and, and the track in particular is amazing so yeah duval timothy i really love that one Another, uh, well, band and record that I discovered through my work at Bandcamp um, is a group called Salt. They're kind of a mysterious group. Um, it's produced by Inflow, who's the guy that produced the last Michael Kiwanuka record. And uh, this band Salt, they're kind of deliberately very mysterious. They released two records last year, one called Five and one called Seven. You know, we got a call from their management um, uh, a couple of months ago just saying, look, with the Black Lives Matter stuff that's been going on. The guys have gone back in the studio, we've put a record together, we want to put it out this week, you know, can you help us set things up? And so we sort of did that. So they released this record called, called Untitled, um, brackets black is, and uh, it's just fantastic. It's kind of like, has elements of sort of street soul and kind of classic soul records as well. But um, I think in terms of a record that's really like spoke to me through the last few months as well, that this Salt record is, is definitely the one. And um, the track that's really been kind of resonating with me lately is one called Miracles. Sway, my God, don't sway, my 
something real good. Something you can look forward to. Don't you cry now. Keep going. Just trust. And always remember. It's already done. I'm looking for a And another record that um, I discovered through Bandcamp, so it's actually an artist I knew of already, so a producer called Dennis Bavell, who um, is kind of the godfather of Lover's Rock, um, kind of legendary music producer and um, musician. And um, I think I sort of discovered he was on Bandcamp and he put a couple of bits out and I bought them. And then, you know, when you follow an artist on Bandcamp, you get a notification when they put a new release up. And uh, something came through for this record uh, called Love Affair by an artist called Marie Pierre, uh, which was produced by Dennis. And um, it was one of those records that I just fell in love with instantly. It's like, I so I bought the digital on Bandcamp. I then went and found the vinyl from Discogs. And uh, it's like a proper staple for me. And um, I think probably my favorite track on there, there's an amazing cover of the Stevie Wonder track, I Believe. So um, yeah, definitely recommend checking that one out. It's uh, Marie Pierre uh, from the album Love Affair. Today's guest is a music lover and fiction writer hailing from Belfast, where her first short story collection, Sweet Home, was set. A book that put her firmly on the literary map, receiving rave reviews and being hailed as book of the year in The Guardian, The White Review and The New Statesman, to name a few. Its title also provides a small clue about the phonographic memories she'll be sharing with us today. Uh, She has a new book out this month called Satan is Real, very excitingly being published with Rough Trade. Doesn't get much cooler than that. And we're so delighted to welcome Wendy Erskine to the pod. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you, and lovely to be here. It's exciting. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, I'm so glad to be speaking to you about music because obviously writing is your, your main thing, but I know that you're um, a huge music nerd as well. I've seen your playlists that you've done for The Social on Twitter, and mm-hmm. um, I know you're a big music fan. So, yeah, really pleased to have you. Um, uh, I was conscious of the fact when I was doing that intro that I read a quote from you recently saying, I can't stand people trying to act the big man, people banging on about their achievements and making great <laughs> claims for themselves. I find it quite ridiculous. So uh, I hope that wasn't too mortifying for you <laughs> to sit there and listen to that. Well, you know, I, I say this stuff and then people can point at me and can say, yeah, but that's exactly what you did, you know. <laughs> um, the other week I went to hear you and you went on about you'd be nominated for this or that or whatever. But yeah, generally on the whole, don't like people <laughs> the big man. But very nice to hear it. Very, very nice. Better than coming on and you saying, yeah, it's pretty mediocre, you know. <laughs> she, she tried her best, you know, didn't always work out, but it was okay. It's not that kind of podcast. Fortunately, because we get to we get to be very selective about our guests, we only have the best of the best so you'll never find that (laughs) i don't think it really counts if someone else is giving you the big up you know if someone else is doing that that's just you just got to sit back and try and look demure yeah yeah absolutely i've just gotta i've just gotta chill and i've just gotta you know act very very pleased yeah absolutely (laughs) roll with the gentle punches absolutely um how is it in belfast at the moment how's it been in lockdown and how have you found it in terms of um uh, has it been creatively stimulating or inhibiting? How has it been for you? Well, if I'm being really honest, Anne, it's been absolutely it's been absolutely fine for me. Mm. You know, I normally work in a I normally work in a school, um, and so I've still been having to do um, school work and so on for part of the day. But then beyond that, it is it has given me a chance to get on with things. And you know, I can't really complain in that place where I live I mean it's not I don't live in a mansion or anything like that but at the same time there's a bit of space so we don't all have to be in the same room all the time and we've got a bit of a garden and so on so um I have found it I find it okay really obviously it's not good when you can't see you know loved ones and you know family and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it but other than that for me it I really couldn't complain it has been it has been all right but I'm a sort of a home a homebody anyway you know I do spend a lot of time just sitting in my house listening to music or reading books so I'm I'm not you know a super sort of clubber or anything like that anyway that's missing those sorts of big gatherings Mm. I was gonna ask because um I I um read something else when I was um when I was doing my research, which I really related to, actually, which said yeah. that um, you rarely listen to music while writing. Um, talk to me about that, because I struggle with that, too. I find it really hard to listen to music um, passively. Why is it that you that you wouldn't choose to listen to music while you're working? Yeah, that is, it's totally true that I never listen to music when I'm writing because I always feel that I end up getting too kind of caught up in the sentiment of the mm. song or the just the, the the mood of it or the beat or whatever and so i find it a complete intrusion really into what i'm managing to uh, what i'm managing to do um and sometimes i suppose maybe if i'm editing maybe if it's something where i'm just trying to tidy things up or something maybe more mechanical i would i would listen to some music then um but on the whole i'm I'm trying to be more just submerged or, you know, totally immersed in whatever it is I'm actually writing. But the sad thing is, or the strange thing is that I have absolutely no problem whatsome whatsoever with my kids coming in and out. And um, I always work in the kitchen. 
And so I'll be sitting at the kitchen table and, you know, they'll come in and out, they'll make themselves something to eat or they'll be bicker and they'll be asking me things, you know, where's this, where's that? And I don't find that an intrusion at all. So I'm able to kind of zone them out, as it were, um, in a way that, that, I, can't, um, that I can't with music. I know when uh, I used to work in uh, computer games and there's a big sort of design cabal in the corner of the room and it was a real split between all the different designers like because I would listen to anything but I think that's basically because I really didn't want to be there and so I needed, <laughs> I needed some sort of escape that said the music offered me that but the guys I worked next to on one side he was like yourself couldn't listen to anything mm -hmm. at all my other friend Tid he had an interesting one that he could he could listen to music and really enjoyed listening to music while he was writing stuff but it couldn't have words in it. So he couldn't listen really? to hip hop or anything like that. But he'd love, he used to listen to film soundtracks and classical and instrumental jazz. But if there was a single voice, he said he just, he just started listening to the voice and writing what they were saying, basically. Yeah, that's, re that's really interesting because I would say that whenever I'm doing, when it's not actual writing as such, whenever it's tidying things or editing or whatever, I would tend to listen to things that, that, don't, have, that don't have vocals in them. Mm. So even then, yeah, that's what I would be drawn to, I would it say. It leaves a little yeah. more room for your own voice, doesn't it? So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to look at it. Um, it's interesting as well that you say you're, you're a homebody because obviously you're... you're um... Uh, your book Sweet Home was set in Belfast in various different uh, cafes and areas of Belfast and that's the place you grew up in as well. Mm -hmm. ha have you lived elsewhere? What is it about Belfast and the, the sort of scene there that, that's kept you there? Well, I have lived other places. So whenever um, I was 18, I moved to Glasgow. So I studied in Glasgow and I would have lived there for about seven or eight years. And then after that, I moved to Newcastle upon Tyne. And I lived there for four years then after that. Mm. And to be honest, what brought me back to Belfast was really just a kind of, it was it was not nothing very exciting whatsoever. It was just stuff to do with practical arrangements in terms of jobs and, and things like uh, things like that. But as a place, I I just I, I do really, um, you know, do really like it. And um, I think it's it's an interesting place to be. I mean, um, there was there was a guy that you know where the film Game of Thrones here or they used mm -hmm. to or whatever. And there was a, one of the guys from Game of Thrones got into loads of trouble because he said, "Oh, Belfast was fine for um, a weekend, but not for not for too much longer." Oh, that's cold. Pe so that was absolutely, <laughs> and people were outraged by that. And somebody said, "Oh no, he's, he's so unfair. It, was, it would be actually okay for about four or five days," <laughs> uh, which <laughs> didn't go down well either. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's an it's I, I like it. I think it's a, I think it's an interesting place. And you know, in terms of me writing a book, what I wanted was I wanted something that involved no research whatsoever. You know, smart so move. I yeah, it was a smart move. I didn't want anything where I had to try and find out about living conditions and all sorts of different places. I thought right, let's just let's just do something that I that I know. And mm. so that's how it, how it ended up. And what was it like? What was the what was the I grew up in Dublin, you know, and we mm -hmm. had a very, very sort of specific vibe and specific type of music scene in the 90s when I was growing up there. But mm -hmm. I know I, I've only visited Belfast a couple of times. and I'm really I, I'm, I, I feel like my knowledge of it is very sort of peripheral. I'm really curious mm -hmm. to know what it was like in terms of the scene, in terms of music that was popular, in terms of fashion. How was it growing up uh, in Belfast? Right. Well, I would have been so I would have been about um, in 1979, I would have been 11. So mm. I would have been started in secondary school in 1979. And so my, my teenage years then would have been kind of uh, early 80s. 
And uh, I suppose if I'm thinking back then, um, there would have been lots of mods. There mm. would have been like quite a few mod clubs. Um, and I think that quite a few people that were involved in that scene eventually moved on to, you know, be involved in sort of like dance music scene mm. later on. There would have been a lot of heavy metal. Um, and that's what I kind of draw on a little bit for in those rough trade stories that, um, you know, there was there was that and that had an allure for a lot of people because it was sort of seemed, even though heavy metal can in some ways seem kind of quite, I don't know, pantomime, it also had a very countercultural feel here because it was seen as something, you know, quite satanic and a lot of people seemed to be frightened mm-hmm. of what it represented. Um, so there was so there was that. Um, and in terms of bands and stuff playing, there were very, very few. So uh, people probably like me probably would have just gone to see absolutely anybody that ever that ever came. You know, <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't really, didn't really matter. No <laughs> tour bands. That's, yeah. that's the place to tour. <laughs> yeah. And I think that whenever, because so few bands did come, that whenever anybody did, they got absolute rapturous. Um, you know, welcome. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's the type of place so it, it was. Um, and in terms of, I mean, I've got a daughter of, of 18 and I'm always talking to her about how, you know, it's so terribly, terribly different. And she's, she can, her, her experience is so radically, you know, removed from what mine would have been um, in Belfast at, in the same sort of, in the same sort of teenage years. Mm. But, you know, even, I, and I don't, I don't think that Belfast had the monopoly in this, but even just the, the very few shops that there would have been that would have sold what would be regarded as kind of like cold clothes or whatever, mm. um, it was all just more restrictive, I suppose, than, uh, than nowadays. Mm. Did you have a particular scene that you identified? I mean, obviously, if, if it's a situation where if any band is coming, you're going to see them live, I guess you mm. can't necessarily align yourself with a particular scene. But in terms of how you were dressing and what you were into, did you feel feel like you were a mod was there any group that you knocked about with well that's really interesting I mean there was there was a club that a lot of people would have gone to and it was a club called the plaza and it was like a bring your own club and it would have started at about 11 o'clock at night and it would have gone on to about three in the morning and what was interesting about that was it was just every single um, scene you could have imagined was there because it was kind of like I suppose it would have been by that stage um, sort of like proto maybe sort of c86 style stuff it would have been rockabillies psychabillies you would have got a sort of a jazzy type of crowd goths punks there was absolutely everything and you know it would nearly be it would be rationed that there would be like a few a few kind of rockabilly records a few psychabilly that maybe play the cramps and then next mm. thing it would move into um you know something totally different some goth tracks or whatever um and it was a very cool it was a very cool place because there was such there was such diversity uh it's very there. democratic it was yeah yeah <laughs> that, abs- that absolutely period. So that that period of the of the eighties uh, was mm-hmm. it was a, a lovely time because it was like at the start of um, indie, like when indie actually meant independent, mm-hmm. like sort of people. Do you know what I mean? And if yeah. you look at the indie charts in those times, um, the mix of music is incredible because um, I think at the time the the main charts suddenly became like you know the sort of um, PWL acts on rotation, mm-hmm. basically, and uh, a lot of it just seemed to sort of dissipate away into a very mainstream feel. But the indie charts at that time were really good because you had the G Samari chain next to Nitzareb, next to um, the Wolfhounds, next to what? Do you know what I mean? It was a real yeah, no, exactly mishmash of, of styles, and that C eighty six thing as well. You know, that was like a real. 
there's a scene unto itself but it, i remember going to discos at that time where i was living in banbury and um uh, most of them were, were pretty terrible but the the good ones they did allow it was like like you got your 15 minutes you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah yes that's right yeah how, how many goths in tonight okay you can have two sisters of mercy and 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 one other <laughs> you're like I and mean, like the way you say disco there would you would you still use that word would you you were saying uh, now you go to disco yeah, well i'm a disco king so i, I mean I, I love disco that's my main thing. very modest I, yeah I, 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 I just you know why, why hide my light under a bushel <laughs> <laughs> now i love i love disco and, and kind of always had but i think in those days i probably wouldn't have said disco Mm -hmm. I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have said gig or something. I don't, I don't know what I'd say. It'd just be the name of the pub because it was that colloquial. It was like a, mm -hmm. a small town, you know, and, and each pub had its own brand of hooligan in it. Mm -hmm. So you had to you had to pick the ones you went to. So if you went to the wine vaults like I did, you were a goth. And yeah. if you went, uh, you know, to the, the dog and gun, then you were, you were a casual. And there the twain did meet. But musically, the place that really had nice little music scenes going on, you got a lot more mixing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's mm -hmm. really, I think if you were counterculture, you just had to avoid the casual pubs. Mm -hmm. But the mods mm -hmm. would rub up against the goths, would rub up against the heavy metals a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think I would still probably even have to stop myself saying the word disco, even all these <laughs> years later. <laughs> Is that a dirty <laughs> word? <laughs> have to substitute something else yeah. it all went out the window when rave arrived anyway yeah. then everyone just gave up on everything and went went crazy yeah. for like five yeah. years um should we delve into your phonographic memories then it seems like a good okay. moment okay. so the first one you've chosen talk to us about this one grooving with mr blow by mr blow okay so this one i didn't grow up in a house where lots of people listen to um music you know and sometimes I, I get kind of envious when I hear people saying things like, oh, my dad, see that big load of Motown or, you know, stacks in the corner. That all came from my dad. And I'm like, no, my dad would have never listened to anything like that. I mean, my parents just really weren't interested in listening to music at all. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, they would, they would, now and again, they might get something that like, but they just they just weren't music. They just weren't music uh, lovers at all. Mm. Um, and so... I suppose where I would have heard music mostly would have been on the uh, on the radio and uh, it probably would have been this channel that was always on in our house, which was like the local BBC Radio Ulster. Mm. Um, and it was just such a random assortment of tunes that would be played on it, um, probably mainly country and western. Um, and um, occasion, and again, country and western was something that I was just trying totally, totally disassociated with. Like country and western, I just thought, oh my goodness, this is just, yeah. this is dark. But then I got to Glasgow and realized that so many people really loved it. Mm. And that, you know, um, this was this was something that, that people were listening to and really, really enjoying. And, you know, it was kind of like more the sort of Grand Parsons and uh, sort of birds. And yeah, I don't think that Western. really counts. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think <laughs> that counts? No. <laughs> that's, that's the good stuff. Yeah, so Radio Ulster, yeah, it was mainly country and Western, but there would be a few sort of random things that they would, that they would play. So I remember they used to play um, Pale Blue Eyes, um, which was kind of Velvet Underground, which was kind of a strange one. Mm. Um, but also, I remember hearing um, Groovin' with Mr. Blow um, played on the radio. And I remember being in the bathroom, and it must have been maybe about eight or nine, and it was being played, and um, it was just blaring out of this little transistor radio that we had in the in the bathroom. Um, and I thought, oh, that's good. And I probably even skipped about a little bit to it or whatever in the, in the bathroom in front of the mirror. 
and then I never heard it. I never heard it again. And what made me choose this really was just because it, it's just a different way of listening to music that you hear something, you didn't catch the name of it, you're not able to shazam it, um, you're not able to in this you know, in this case there weren't lyrics anyway, but mm. you know you're not able to remember the lyrics that you're then gonna Google. Um, that's a, just a totally a totally different kind of much more haphazard way of listening to music. Um, but in some ways it's 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 a very exciting way because I didn't hear it again really until I was about eighteen and I heard it again at a party, mm. um, and I thought, well, listen to that. What is that? That's that record from all that time ago. And asked somebody what it was, and they and they told me and. Um, I thought, yeah, that's that record that made an impression of me uh, in the bathroom. It's so it's so interesting to hear you say that because um, we talk about this a lot, and I often reminisce about those times when, yeah, something could a piece of music could just be completely transient in your life, and you might never get an opportunity to find out what it is or hear it again. Mm-hmm. But then maybe it finds you years later, and it feels so serendipitous that finally you're hearing this again, and you get to find out what it is and and who it's by, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just feels very significant. Something has been taken away, I think, by the fact that you can find out what anything is instantly. Especially, you know, and Eamon will say this too, like we'll be DJing and it used to be that you might have a really nice interaction with, with someone where they'd come up and ask you what's playing and you talk about it whereas now you just see them pointing their phones <laughs> oh speaker. yeah 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 you know no that's, human interaction that's actually how I know whether I'm doing any good half the time is if, if you can see loads of shazams on, on people's phones you think I'm winning here I've got them on it's all going to be good was it yeah. was the track floating around in your head like in between those two times of hearing it or did it just suddenly kind of come back to you when you heard it no the, the track time? was floating around in my head and I think even a couple of times it probably attempted to explain it to somebody and say <laughs> do you know that thing but I'm not much of a singer I'm a terrible singer <laughs> So I probably tried to sing it, and it was it was it was no good. And I remember as well at one point, um, for my birthday one time, I was bought a harmonica. It would have been I don't know, must have been about twelve or thirteen. That's or a whatever. brave gift to buy a kid. Um, I know, I know. Um, and I can remember then I was thinking of remember that tune that was a harmonica because I was mm. blowing it. I started to think about it again, but I took an allergic reaction to the metal in the harmonica, oh, and so had these massive puffy lips it was like oh. lip fillers <laughs> in excelsis you know um so uh, yeah so we gave up and that was a short that was a short career with the with the harmonica yeah um so yeah but i think you know what you're saying there that whole serendipitous thing is just it's it's a shame that's lost obviously it's it's wonderful and probably on balance it's it's maybe better that mm-hmm. we can access things and so on but uh, that is something that's been lost and i think as well about songs you know maybe the hadn't been released yet and you heard them once on the radio and they made an impression and you know you were never going to hear them again for another Mm. few weeks until by chance you would hear them on, on another program or whatever and I remember always just sitting having the tape poised you know that's something to press those two buttons Absolutely. at the top yeah. you know just waiting to, if that tune came on again so that I could I could record it uh-huh. yeah I think um when when you're you have those kind of serendipitous moments. It's, it's interesting the ones, the tunes that actually um, stick in your mind like that. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, um, how, how did the music industry even work at that stage? Do you know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. had the random moment, you're going to brush your teeth, you hear the song, it's the song for you. Mm-hmm. It's over in a flash, it's what, two minutes long or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky, you hear the guy say what it was, but yeah. not always. And then, what? 
where do you go? How do you how do you look for it? Do you know what I mean? And you can spend you can spend a lifetime looking for some of these things. How did they make it work half the time? You know, even with new yeah. releases, like it, you, you you might have caught it on the radio, um, but if you missed that show, well, that's that. That's, that. that's it that's it i used to years and years i used to work in a record shop just briefly whenever i was about 18 and um we had this people could come in and order records and essentially i suppose what people were trying to do a lot of the time was order something like like grooving with mr blow that they could half remember or they didn't know the, the title of or whatever mm. and it was just like a little exercise book that we wrote this down in. it was just you know like something like a school jotter and I remember, you know, you'd make this half-hearted attempt to write down the name of what it was the person was looking for and take the phone number. But you knew that, like, we're never, ever going to be able to... I mean, the, the, just, the, the, just the difficulties, the logistics of ever trying to find these things or whatever. Yeah. Especially with something like Mr. Blow, you know, where... Um who is Mr. Blow anyway? Um, mm. it's, it's an instrumental, so there's nothing to, nothing to latch yeah. on to apart from yeah. the harmonica yeah. line. And, you know, it was like, what is one of two singles he ever had that came into the charts? That's and right, that was that. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was, it. It, was, mm -hmm. it was gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was interested to read that it was used for um, as the theme tune for Argentinian football. Um, <laughs> oh, really? for, a, for a program in Argentina, yeah. It, that would mean so much to so many Argentinians. They'd be like, they'd hear yeah. that song and go, oh, it's like Match of the Day theme <laughs> yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> theme tune if i'm just mooching around the town you know just walking about i always imagine that if they were making a program about me that was what theme tune would be oh that's so good to have a personal <laughs> theme tune yeah. this has got to be i'm going to be thinking about this now Oh, yeah, that's a, that is a good one. I can never decide. I'm always changing from day to day. But I'll tell you what, when you have got something like that and it's it's your, your jam for the day and you've got your headphones on, you're cruising yeah. through your, your local area, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I think that's what, I love that music with the headphones and just how it transforms reality mm. for you. Mm. I think that's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's so many. Um, I'm really into like anything that's like solo piano music really of any genre when i when i'm walking down the street listening to something like that it just makes me feel like i'm inside some kind of pretentious art film and it's kind yeah. of nice because it just feels like nothing i do is of any consequence and i'm kind of relieved of all normal human responsibilities it's a good See, feeling music music can be very functional like that mm. i can remember when i used to work um uh, for sony I, our office was off the back of oxford street and um in the the christmas period Oxford Street and the surrounding area, as you can imagine, was absolute Armageddon. You know, it's just everyone rushing around trying to get the thing. You couldn't move for people. It was a nightmare. Um, and I used to have to sort of fight my way from the office to the to the bus stop. And I found my, my favourite way of doing it was just finding the thrashiest heavy metal I possibly could. And yeah, just, just barging my way through, you know, with my umbrella. And that, that would work for me, you know. But I know what you mean about having... Um, 
you know, if you if you got um, you know sentimental promenade playing gently in your in your headphones, you do feel like you're almost observing the world mm. from your special vantage point. Mm. Yeah, it's a sensibility. It gives you a particular sensibility for sure. It does. Do you have a, a sense um, when you're when you're writing? Um, do you feel music in your stories as in like a, a lot of the stuff you write is, is based in, in cafes or, you know, beauty salons, various different occasions. Does that mm. come into your mind as an intrinsic part of setting a scene somewhere? Yes, totally. Mm. I mean, what I what one of the biggest comp here's me saying, oh, I don't like anybody acting the big man. And now I'm going on. <laughs> one of the biggest, We're in a safe space. The, Wendy. Um, it's, 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 it's <laughs> one of the biggest compliments I ever was paid um, was <laughs> go on. Was for, was whenever somebody said, um, you know, what you're good at is, or what you what you're you know okay at is, you're trying to get music as part of the fabric of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a great thing to say because I'm not interested in trying to write about cool characters that listen to cool music. And you know, I think as well it can sometimes be really clumsy in writing if as a kind of an indicator of. Um, of a kind of a, a mood or a place. People who aren't that interested in music just kind of, you know, make some reference to it in a mm-hmm. way to try and, you know, a, a shortcut, I suppose you would say, mm-hmm. to a mood or a, or, or a person or whatever. So, you know, I would say, I would hope that there's there's lots of references to music in this, in this book, um, but they're mainly the sorts of things that I can think of would naturally arise in a particular in a particular place. Um, you know, there's no point in creating where where I live. You know, it's not a particularly gentrified sort of area. Um, it's not a particularly cool area. Um, it would be completely ridiculous if I had, um, you know, certain sorts of music being being played in these cafes mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so yeah. It, that that would definitely be an aspect to it that um I'm wanting the music to be just part of the general fabric of of people's of people's lives and um I suppose one of the stories is particularly music based in the sense that it's like a sort of a Sid Barrett style character you mm. know that there's the whole story is actually about but it's a, it's sort of an amalgamation of of a number of people really I suppose it's not just Sid Barrett so uh, yeah it is it is important in terms of that. Mm. Uh, that's so it, it, that's such a great compliment to receive because I think you, you're right I think sometimes music can sometimes be crowbarred into a scene mm. in a book or a film just as a device to sort of mm. um, you know illustrate someone's character um, and uh, paging yeah. Mr Tarantino <laughs> well exactly yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's literally his starting point is he pulls out a few records and yeah. goes oh, I'll write something about that uh. Yeah, I mean, they say the the very very first story, the the woman had wanted to have a kind of like a um a sort of like a, a Caribbean feel to the um, beauty salon. Mm. You know, she was wanting to do it kind of uh, kind of tropical, um, and so she starts off trying to play um trying to play reggae. Um, and it just doesn't work. So she has to go back then to the, um, you know, the traditional kinds of noises, the sort of seascape, all the rest of mm. it, pan pipes and so on that are more typical of the, the beauty salon milieu. So, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. The thing I find most excruciating about being in a beauty salon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's hard to relax. So I, I just find it so funny, all the whale song stuff. Yeah, um, I've got a totally. rock and roll barber, so I, I just get, you know... Uh, <laughs> rock and roll barber. <laughs> you should be a rock and roll manicurist. That's what we need. <laughs> should we move on then, Wendy, to your second okay. choice? Sweet yeah. Jean Vincent by Ian Jerry. Tell us about this one. 
Right, okay. This one's picked not just because of the actual song, but also as well because of the um, album that it's from, and particularly the um, image that's on front of the um, on, of the album. Um, the song itself, I really, I really love the song. Um, I love the idea that there's like you know there's there's one in every town there's like an old ted in every town mm -hmm. and there's an old rock and roller and i kind of love that idea of somebody who's got total commitment to a type of music or commitment to a look or whatever and long past its decade just keeps on um with that total devotion to it i really like i love to see old mods i love to see old old rockers as well mm -hmm. rockabillies um and i love as well i like i like being a fan and I love other people being fans too. And those sorts of songs where you have got one person referencing somebody else that he so loves, mm. Gene Vincent, I just really, uh, I just really, really like. Blue Jean, were slender, the beauties were brief. Shall I mourn your decline with some thunderbird wine and a black handkerchief? I miss your sad Virginia whisper. I miss the voice that called my heart. image on the front of um that album new boots and panties that's yeah. of um in jury and baxter drury in front of um in front of the old sort of gentleman's clothing shop mm. um years and years ago i used to do i used to do a blog and one of the things i was doing and this was kind of sort of proto work i suppose you would say on trying to do the sort of you know creative stuff and you know stories and so on and i ended up taking a photograph or getting my daughter actually to take a photograph of me and my son posing as ian jury and his mm. son um and so um that was something that we that was something that we did and um it was just a great it was just a great photo really mm -hmm. and really um i've tried to get him to go back and do it again you know um and uh, he's now six foot two or something or other he's totally, be totally all the proportion will be wrong yeah proportions are <laughs> proportions are totally totally wrong now but uh, he won't he won't do it he says no way Aww. um but uh, it's just got a very good good memory for me white face black shirt white socks black shoes black hair white straight black white dyed black So growing up in a in a household where music kind of wasn't um, something that your parents are really into, was it mm -hmm. important to you to to share good music with your kids? 
yeah i mean it's such a different environment here yeah um so yeah i i really like that that um they'll listen they'll listen to my music and also as well um my husband he plays a lot of music he really likes he actually really likes country music um but he likes it's all like george jones and it's all like um you know buck owens and yeah it's all it's all the good it's all the good stuff absolutely and i also like hearing my kids playing the the music that they play so um we would have like if we were having a dinner or whatever it would be like a miniature version of that disco that I was talking yeah. about from the eighties, yeah, <laughs> where we would just take we would just take turns. Um, it would be your so and so's turn now to play mm. their couple of tracks or whatever, and we'd just do it on uh, we'd just do it in rotation, with no yeah. arguments, with mostly no mostly no arguments, that, mostly no that's arguments. That's incredible. Yeah, but to tell you what, though, some sometimes though, what I don't like is like I remember we were on holiday in Italy. Um, and we were um, staying in this really beautiful place and we were having a lovely meal outside. And then Paul, my husband, started blasting. I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was, um, it was Willie Nelson or something. And I, I just freaked about that. I said, we can't listen to that here. And we're not <laughs> listening to, we are not listening to Willie Nelson in Italy. Um, it just just does not work. It for doesn't me. make sense in the it scene. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> just, I love that there are other people out there that think like I do. This is exactly what. <laughs> is <laughs> that right? Like, no, that's all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So mostly there's no arguments. Mostly yeah. there's not. Well, that is no. like I said. That's top parenting on your behalf. Well played. Mm. But I think interested, uh, you know, because I'm a big Ian Jury fan as well. And um, mm-hmm. what you were saying earlier about sort of, um, you know, these ordinary scenes that you wanted to touch in your writing, that's sort of mm-hmm. I think that really was a, a, a real gift of Ian Jury, actually, is that he could pick a character or a place or a tiny event and he would make these little ordinary moments like um, just so many like Sweet Jean Vincent, the old guy who's into his music still. There's that one about him going out and stealing a porno mag when he's like a Razzle kid. in my like, pocket. Yeah. What a Absol- tune. Yeah, it's brilliant. I would love. Yeah, I love that. I listen to that one all the time. It's great. And it's it's all so succinct. And so there's not not a word wasted, you know, and it really puts mm-hmm. you in a position like many songs uh, want to you know take you on a, a little journey somewhere but often they're to shiny places whereas Ian Jury was very good at, at picking away at the, the sort of scabs of society and saying look, look down here down here where the grime is there's some really interesting mm-hmm. people and really interesting things going on mm-hmm. absolutely yeah well that's just exactly what you say there that he's down there with the people you know it's a song like you know if you look at blockheads and it's like yeah blockheads haha so funny aren't they awful we're all blockheads too mm-hmm. you know that's it exactly um shall we move on to your third and most polarizing yeah. choice well i wouldn't say yeah. polarizing because like i said it's a, it's a it's a safe space and also you know um when we ask our wonderful guests to come on this pod and go through their phonographic memories we emphasize very much that it's not about picking things that are cool it's more yeah. about how how memory and music is kind of intrinsically linked um the story. The story. <laughs> exactly you're so, safe here no one's gonna pull you no one's gonna say a word that's good you're all that's right good. you're all right <laughs> And can I just say before I before I um, say what the track is, 
my dad had this uh, song on cassette and I used to listen to it indiscriminately over and over and over again when I was uh, b- before I kind of realized what what it was really all about uh, but yes so um you know you uh, you're you're free to talk about uh, this track in this safe space Leonard Skinner Sweet Home Alabama Okay. What is, tell us about the phonographic memory attached to this <laughs> just, one. I'm very they curious. just left her there all, all unarmed. <laughs> Explain yourself. Explain Wendy. yourself. I was what just you? saying, whatever your reasoning, yeah. I listened to it yeah. for pure pleasure when I was growing okay. up. So, you know, yeah. don't, don't feel bad. Okay. What, what have I got to say in my defense? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've built this up as if you need to defend yourself. You really don't, Wendy. No, no. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's good. All these, I don't think... What I've done here is all the, of the other tracks as well. I haven't really picked things that I think are super cool at all, but they mm. are things that really are quite important in terms of mm. memories or whatever. And this one is important too. Mm. Um, in a sense that this one is so connected to um, my um, short story collection, which is called Sweet Sweet Home. Mm. Um, and basically what happened was didn't really know what I was going to call this collection and my idea for it was um in in the story there's a there's a there's this sort of rock star monkey type person called Gil Courtney and in that in in the story he had a flop album called Volante Blue and so my initial um idea was that we called our short story the short story collection Volante Blue um and then the guy Declan who's in charge of Sting and Fly he was saying well it's not really you know it doesn't really bode well that you're going to call your story you're going to call your collection after a flop album you know <laughs> um so we thought well maybe maybe not that um and then one of the stories was actually called New New Villa in sort of homage to a Chekhov story but um I ended up changing that to be called called Sweet Home and as soon as you say sweet home to me, um, the word that's kind of hovering there, I suppose sweet home Chicago, there's there's that idea mm-hmm. too, but the word that's probably hovering there is sweet home Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, this is a really, really complex, um, complex song. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people know the whole history of it and they know how this was kind of like a response to Neil Young's criticism of the criticism of the South um, in in Southern Man, and so this is kind of like the um, the response to that. But then the thing is as well that the guys from Leonard Skinner were, you know, from Florida um, anyway, and they weren't from the South. Um, and then what you have is this song that um, in in some ways is presenting the South in an quite a quite an idealized way you know the skies are so blue um and it's it's presented as sort of a, a pain to this to this place um but what i also find really interesting about this is the fact that the back and vocals are sung by um, mary clayton mm-hmm. and that she didn't originally she wasn't too keen about um singing these these back and vocals because alabama was not sweet home for mm-hmm. so many people you know when like the governor that's mentioned in the song, George Wallace, you know, segregationist governor, you know, you can see the photographs where he, you know, prevents, you know, two students from entering the state university Um, two black students, you know, and, you know, he said segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation mm-hmm. forever, all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was not sweet home um, for um, a lot of people. Um, but then Mary Mary Clayton said, right, okay, well, I will sing on it, but I'll sing on it. I'll sing it like it's a protest song and um, courtesy of me. 
um, jazz musician who's Mary Clayton's husband. He said, "You got, you got to sing on it, and you got to have your voice on it." Um, and so now when I listen to it, I just find it really complex because I'm hearing as well Mary Clayton's voice, and I'm thinking about Mary Clayton's attitude whenever she was she was singing this, and she sings it so brilliantly and so beautifully. Um, and for me, it kind of calls into question the whole sweet home idea. And I suppose that whole sense of ambivalence about a place is also as well what I was trying to get across whenever I was writing my stories. Obviously, it's it's you can't map Alabama onto Northern Ireland and <laughs> North of Ireland. You know, there's got, there's got to be, you know, it's a slightly different landscape. Mm -hmm. But the idea of a place being by no means straightforward and a place mm. maybe good for some people, certainly not good for others. Um, all of that's kind of embodied in that uh, in that song. I actually never knew that about the backing singer. It's a really interesting mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's one of those songs as well. I can remember um, I can remember a time when I didn't know anything about it, and it was just a song on the radio. Mm -hmm. I preferred it then because it just didn't, didn't have any of this baggage that comes with well, it. Yeah. And then slowly mm -hmm. it becomes it's like, oh, I've been humming that all this time. But mm -hmm. it's songs are complicated uh, in that they they're mostly written from a personal point of view. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, everyone has their own. So it's his sweet home, like you say, but maybe not, maybe not the other ladies. Yeah? I, I didn't mm -hmm. realise they came from Florida. I thought it was genuinely a how dare you, Neil Young, talk about mm. our sweet home like this. But well, the, Florida is south, but it's not it's not the south that, that Neil Young was yeah, I mean, it's, aiming at. Yeah, well, exactly. But I, I think, I do you think then, because um, I didn't realise that about Mary Clayton either, that that was kind of the attitude that she went in with. Is the mm -hmm. song itself slightly tongue in cheek then in a way? Do you think Leonard Skinner meant it as a... Pro, like did were they performing it like a protest song or performing it you know um with the attitude like this place is very complex let me tell you about it well you know you can look at all sorts of things and mm. some people would absolutely agree with what you've just said other people would say no it's a it's 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 straighter really than mm. that mm. i mean there's a bit in birmingham they have the governor and then uh it's like do, does it do the singers then go boo 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 mm. um oh, it's yes. not quite you know um it's 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 difficult quite to quite to know about to know about that you know i feel like i'm gonna have to listen to this song a few times this is what we're here for you see it brings up these interesting talking that points is really and, uh, interesting makes you think again <laughs>
interesting to hear the fact that uh, you named your your book after it because mm-hmm. of the, the the sort of ambiguity. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And what I wanted, actually, you know, the way you have the little um, at the at the beginning, the little like epigraph, you mm. know, where you've got mm. quotes or whatever. Um, and what I wanted was Mary um, was Mary Clayton's quote um, from it was an interview in the in the Guardian that she did. Um, well, she said, you know, it was not sweet home. We were singing it like a like a protest song, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't that didn't work out in terms of me getting that particular that particular uh-huh. quote. So now I've got something from Jared Manley Hopkins, um, who yeah, the the poet, um, who really is in a different type of zone entirely. What was the quote? Um, oh, it was just a quote. The, so the Jeremy Hopkins thing is just mm. him talking about home and mm. how he was always treated well at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of it's 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 fine. It's nice. It's good, but it's it's not the same thing at all. Well, it's good you've got to share the Mary Clayton one with us today. Yeah, well, I'm really <laughs> glad. I'm really glad. Yeah, it's really good. I've got to do that. I remember when I was a kid, we always used to call them Lynard Skynard for years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think when I started in the in the record shop at about sixteen. Um, I, uh, I, I soon learned because my boss was very like, never say that ever, ever again. <laughs> it's Leonard Skinner. They even wrote an album and they showed me the album. It's one of their albums has got like a how to say the name phonetically underneath the, uh, the actual title. So I'll never forget that one. Oh, they made life difficult for themselves in many ways. <laughs> it did, um, it's, I mean, the, it's a huge song as well, though, isn't it? I mean, it is a it's a, a multi, multi-million selling, you know, it's, a, a, it's a, an I- iconic tune especially for america you know that it, it's unusual to have a tune that's that's so big that then has so much controversy built into it as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it's is. not like and everyone can get behind it is it it's like you know it's, it splits people it, it abs- absolutely and i i know that it's so popular it's so popular here um mm. i mean i know that if 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 a at a disco, if a, if a wedding <laughs> disco or something, if if this ended You're making up making me feel so unhappy, <laughs> <laughs> my legs are going to fall off. <laughs> you know, if people would get up. People would people would be you know loving that and would would get up because I think in some ways people here think of themselves. Some people anyway, as sort of like you know they could identify with a sort of good old boy style yeah. aspect of that song for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about the new book then. This is really exciting, not least of all because it's coming out on Rough Trade. Was that a conscious oh. decision of yours to work with Rough Trade? Well, no. I mean, I was I was contacted by Rough Trade and asked if I would like to um, be involved mm. um, with with this, and I was just like, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a good fit, and I can remember like I met. Um, I met Nina from Rough Trade for a coffee in London. It's still still exciting for me to come to London. You know, I'm you know it's from sort of more hick place. So You're welcome anytime, Wendy. Come <laughs> to London. Yeah, That's yeah. good. Thank VIP you. treatment. <laughs> and like we met for a coffee in Denmark Street, mm-hmm. um, to talk about doing one of these pamphlets. And so that was just really exciting. And it had to be something to do with um, sort of like witchcraft and magic. Um, because it's part of a, a series that are the series is associated with that mm. and so I got two short stories um, and one of them is about a country gospel act um, 1980s in um, in Northern Ireland called the Divine Family and then the son Jamie Devine um, basically has no interest in 
in singing anymore with his parents mm. and so he basically embraces the dark side and starts enjoying things that are to do with um blackness and um mm. you know the occult and, and so on um and then the other story is about a demon um who called furfur um who is part of a le- uh, part of a legion of this this demon is part of a legion of demons pandemonium and so on this this demon then comes to live with this girl who has lost her um has lost her partner and um sort of like chaos ensues as a as a result of that so it's two two <laughs> stories two two stories that are um related to to witchcraft yeah they yeah, sound so amazing. I, yeah, definitely. I'd be well up for that. The, the whole notion of chaos is is a lot better than I, and they got on fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was thinking this sounds lovely. <laughs> what could go wrong? They moved in. Sure, the horns were sharp, but you know. <laughs> um, did 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 getting into writing stories uh, of that particular type influence what you've been like other sort of art and media you've been consuming and music you've been listening to? Have you gone to the dark side? Um, no, do you know what, whenever I started off writing, whenever I started off writing the stories, um, I would have been looking at, um, so say for example, the one, the one Endor, which is about the demon, I ended up looking at lots and lots of pictures of this witch of Endor. So it comes from, um, the Bible. I think it comes from Samuel, the Bible. And then there's all these visual representations of this witch. Um, and so I've ended up looking a lot at visual representations of demons and witches and that kind of and that kind of thing um and i suppose what did i listen to i listened to aphrodite's child um but i listened to them before anyway um but that whole that whole 666 album you know i find it really evocative you know mm. I, I find it very enjoyable um so i would have listened to um to that a little bit um what else would I have been listening to in relation to it? Um, yeah, that was that was probably the main thing I think. Mm. I know um, I come from an Irish family as well, and uh, certainly uh, my mother's main worry was that, that I would be drawn down to the devil by the music mm-hmm. I was listening to. You know, and uh, certainly uh, you know she 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 got a bit bit tetchy about uh, David Bowie, but that was fine. But as it started getting a bit gothy, then there was there was questions asked. You know. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's that whole um that whole period of the sort of what we were talking about earlier that that whole sort of early 80s period i just remember that being such a thing sort of yeah. like satanic panic the idea that there was all that backtracking and um yeah, you know subliminal mess reverse yeah. vocal subliminal messages and all the all the rest of it there was such there was such a lot of talk about uh talk about that for definite i remember i told a that radio Ulster that we were talking about earlier they had a joke spot and i can remember that um i told a joke on um the radio and um won their junior it was junior joker it was called and wow. so did this every single day so my joker was why did the guy set fire to his coat because he wanted a blazer and that won that won the prize <laughs> and my prize was um a single by elo called wild west hero oh, um and, <laughs> such a <laughs> random thing and uh such a random thing to send a kid and then um 
there was all the stuff about ELO and so on, you know, that they were meant to be doing all this, you know, the subliminal messages and so on. And people were going, it's so weird that they sent you that single, you know. <laughs> um, they were trying, yeah. to, trying to pervert you. They were trying to pervert me, Radio Ulster. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny thinking about a band like ELO being associated with something, <laughs> being a dark force of, uh, you know, a dark influence. I know, influence. it's so ludicrous. The Radio 2 of Demons. <laughs> It's so funny. It's just, it is. Yeah. It's so daft, doesn't it? But really I remember um, I worked in a, in a record shop at the, at the end of the 80s and uh, it, it, was, it was a real bit, I don't know, there was a massive society-wide kind of worry about the devil and, and that kind of, in witchcraft and all that kind of stuff mm. going on. It mm-hmm. was a big thing and I can remember we worked in a, in, a, in a shop that sold quite a lot of heavy metal and Judas Priest um, got pulled up into uh, some American... Uh, kid hung himself I think and the mm-hmm. parents sued Judas Priest because they said there was subliminal messages backwards in the records and all that sort of stuff and there's footage of the lead singer in the court of law you know singing like in his heavy metal style trying to explain to them no that's just how I sing <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing to this do you know what I mean and it's like it's like trying to prove a negative do you know what I mean where like yeah. it isn't there but you know if you listen hard enough you can convince yourself anything's there you know yeah, yeah, totally, totally. God. Rich pickings for um for uh, writing. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. absolutely. And I mean, I didn't. I ended up not writing about this, but I suppose some of the reading I did as well around about that time, whenever I was thinking about these stories, was how um in in Ireland, north of Ireland, Northern Ireland, um they actually tried to use people's fears um about witchcraft and you know. You know Satan and all the rest mm-hmm. of it as a means of sort of social control. Um, that um, they they actually deliberately planted things, places. You know, in terms of derelict houses or whatever, to try to terrify people so that kids would actually not want to go out onto the streets. Um, and you mm-hmm. know, explore and get drunk or whatever in these derelict buildings. Um, so there's 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 quite some some quite interesting um writing on that and how that was actually used by security forces. Yeah, it is. It's really sinister. Book three, yeah. yeah book three. Book three. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like as a teenager, surely that is like absolute catnip to a teenager. Oh my God, there's a derelict house we can go drinking in, and it's something to do with Satan. See you there at eight o'clock. <laughs> Wendy, when, when, and where can we can we read these stories? When are they out? All right, they are out on the sixth of August, mm-hmm. and um, I think you can you can order them from the Rough Trade website, or I think they're going to be in probably nice bookshops too, nice little bookshops. Only the places. nice ones, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely nice so. Ones. Perfect. Yeah. That's fabulous. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for for sharing your phonographic memories with us. Thank you. It has been my total pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for having me along. Thanks, Wendy. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you.